met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. to another episode of Subconscious Realms. I'm your host, General Lee. And ladies and gentlemen, this individual needs no introduction whatsoever. Uh, please welcome Gary Wade. Now then, Gary. Thank you for inviting me back to your show and uh, hope things are yes. all well with you at your end and uh, looking forward to a good discussion. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm here, Gary, and that's the main thing, I guess. Um, and yet again, an honor to be speaking with you again, sir. Uh, yeah, past couple of shows we've done, I've had brilliant feedback, which I guess uh, leads leads me on to uh, curiosity into today's <laughs> subject. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, um, doesn't matter how much is talked about or how much you learn <laughs> you you kind of learn over a while that there's just another rock to look under there's more questions that come up and so oh. people people you know what i would caution people with is is you know the the research is absolutely terrific uh but don't get frustrated because there is just so much material so just sort of absorb absorb it as you can and and just keep digging you know, you couldn't have said it any better, Gary. That's that's basically how it is. It is constantly learning um, more and more. The weirder, the better for me. And yeah. there's a lot of weird. There's a lot of weird. Yeah, and because what what people don't really realize is is you know we're talking about what I call hidden history uh, and suppressed history, and so yeah. But if you, if you sort of take a step back and if you just sort of imagine yourself being awash in a world that is going on all around you, uh, that is reflecting everything that was and everything that's going to be, uh, things start to make sense because everything is hidden in plain sight. But you've been prepared uh, through education, through media, through the whole organizational structure of the world, not to critically analyze properly and not to look at things in a way other than you've been prepared to look at them at. But once you start to do, then you start to see these things that are all in plain sight. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm, that's what makes it even more fascinating, Gary, is the... Um, how obvious things are yeah it, it's 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 just amazing that you can do it so much that it becomes the norm but you shouldn't at the same time 
sort of look into it. It makes no sense, but it, 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 <laughs> I guess that's I guess that's what they call brainwashing because you're reacting yeah. to things exactly how you've been trained to react to them. And so, yeah. you know, there's so many allegories that we have that are out there. And I think, you know, not that I follow th this sort of belief system, but when you look at the belief system that's behind the the uh, Matrix uh, movies, uh, you know, that red pill and blue pill. I mean, that's really it. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. do you want do you want to wake up? Do you want to see what the world is in its reality? Or do you want to get the fairy tale edition that doesn't really work that well? And it's not that the whole world <laughs> will work better after you know, but it'll start to make sense. And then you can yeah. deal with it. Yeah, I think me personally, I, I, want, I want all the pills. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> This is a it's a fascinating time to be alive. It, it certainly is, and uh, things is. are heating up as we go, and more information is getting out there. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll see, see that, what happens with that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what sort of leads us to uh, today's subject: the Book of Giants. Um, yeah. The you know, the Book of Giants is uh, one of the sort of lesser known Enochian books that that are out there. So it's uh, and, for, you know, for good reasons. It was, you know, it was discovered, you know, amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls. So it hasn't been out there for a long period of time. Right. And we don't have a complete manuscript. So we have fragments. So it is absolutely fascinating and intriguing what's written in it but yet we don't have the full book so we don't really get all of it we kind of get like some headlines here or there and not the yeah. rest of the story but it's uh it's a fascinating sort of book so when we talk about the book of giants that's the enoch book of giants that the is enoch commonly book the enoch book of giants yeah and so when we talk about the books of enoch there's a series of books and the book of Enoch is kind of an intersection back to the Enochian book of giant or the Enochian books and then into some offshoot books as well. So it's kind of an intersection kind of book. So there's most people are familiar with most people are familiar. I get some feedback, but uh, most people are familiar with first Enoch. Uh, and yeah. that's the one that most people have a copy of. And you learned about Azazel and Shemyaza and the Angelic Rebellion and um, very, very sort of straightforward. It's not a complete manuscript. Um, at least we don't know that it's a complete manuscript. It is, we have parts of the original um, fragments of the original book of Enoch, but we don't have a complete Hebrew manuscript. So we get the most complete manuscript of that we get is the Ethiopian version, which is written in Giaz, thought to have been taken down uh, to Ethiopia, probably in the time of Queen Sheba uh, and right. Solomon. And so it's a little bit longer than the version that is the Aramaic version. So I encourage people to get the, uh, the longer version because it's got a few extra verses in it um, that just provides a little bit more detail. And so the book of Enoch survived in Giaz, it survived in Greek, and it survived in 
uh, Aramaic. So you get three kind of different versions of that. And then you have the second book of Enoch, um, which is the uh, uh, not as authentic as I think as the first book. And I think we see a lot more sort of corruptions that are showing up in there. And then you have the third book of Enoch. Um, and with the uh, with the second book of Enoch, you tend to get um, it called as the secrets of Enoch as it's as it comes out in some Aramaic sort of versions. And then you have a Slavonic version of that as well. So Slavonic. Yes. Um, so it is and, and I've got copies of all of them and it's just sort of interesting to look at the differences. But you, what you see moving into second Enoch is a little bit more polytheist things that are being uh, entered into it and then and, and polytheist terms. And then by the time you get into third Enoch, it is completely polytheist. So I would sort of accredit at least third Enoch to Enoch son of Cain and second Enoch as either corrupted or part of Enoch son of Cain and seemingly first Enoch would be from Enoch son of uh, Jared as you would sort of source the versions of it. So there's two different Enochs that you have to keep in mind. But you know when you're getting in some of these like in in third Enoch where you're getting in um, uh, gods that are talked about in terms of like Zeus and Greek gods and things like that. You yeah, know, there's yeah. been, <laughs> you know, there's been some corruptions. Um, the uh, oh. it, it, well, or it's or it's written by a different Enoch or sourced back to a different Enoch. So, uh, but the Enoch Book of Giants, um, it is uh, a very interesting one. I think it runs a lot closer to what, uh, from what we have of it, runs a lot closer with First Enoch. And uh, it has uh, some extra details that are very, very important. Um, and then what sort of extends out of the Enoch Book of Giants is into another book that is called the Manichaean Book of Giants. And what that is, the Manichaean Book of Giants, yes. And so what that does is it now takes the original Book of Giants, and there's some a few names that are changed, but they're, they're the same characters. Right. It, what, it, what it does do, though, is it provides kind of a Persian Indo-Aryan overlay into it. So it has, it's, it's, sort of becomes a, I don't know, a composite of, uh, of the Persian tradition of the same uh, story. Uh, right. And then out of the Manichaean Book of Giants is thought to come uh, the lost king of Book Og that was uh, put out on the market by Demon. And he also put out another book that is seemingly part of the Manichaean Book of Giants uh, that is called uh, the the book of Lamech of Cain, and they're kind of companion, yeah, and uh, and and again, I'm not, you know, they're very interesting. I only what I try and do because of my bias is I try and measure every, everything up against what's in the Bible, but I do note the differences and I do note yeah. details and and sort of keep them in mind just in case I ever make some connections back to that. So, Gary, yeah. Gary, is yeah. there a big difference in the um, different versions um in terms of uh the various enoch books yeah yeah 
Yeah, I think they run directionally the same because they're talking about the right, same right. set of events. But there's yeah. just, as I talk about in a lot of my shows, I use a, uh, viewing history through a monotheist lens. And that's what sort of Christianity and Judaism does. That's not mystical. And then you have a polytheist lens. And so depending on which side you're, which lens you're using, and you're still talking about the same events, but you have a different sort of perspective on what those events might mean. So um, that's that would be the big difference. So yeah, right. So in the book of giants, though, um, it's a, what we get in the fragments is uh, a narrative about some giants that include the same types of angels that are in the Enochian books. And it's about a couple of dreams that the giants are receiving before the flood. And so what the, what is, then there's two different dreams. One is a dream where there is a tablet that's essentially submerged with water. And that most of the names on the tablet, almost all of the names of the tablet are washed away. And that is sort of symbolizing in that dream um, seemingly that there's going to be a great catastrophe and that all of the people from the antediluvian world, except for a few, are not going to survive. And then there's second dream uh, that uh, occurs is it is a dream where it's showing a destruction of a garden. So typically sort of thought of as the Garden of Eden is going to be destroyed in this flood. And in that dream, um, there will be three trees or three shoots that will survive. And then depending on what you think of those shoots, um, some people interpret that as the three sons of Noah, but to me that doesn't really kind of add up because Noah survives too. So you think there would be four shoots or it's one oh, shoot yeah. because they all come from, from Noah. So it's, it's not real clear what it's talking about in terms of the three, the three shoots, although one might sort of presume from other writings that that includes the... Uh, humans that are going to survive, but they're also going to be a branch of giants. And then there's going to be the hybrids that come out of the intermarriage between the giants and the humans that shows that show up after the flood. Would, would they be like the, um, possibly the 13 families bloodline? Um, maybe, you know, I would say yes and no to that. Right. So if we look at the 13 families, we have to we sort of understand it from a European perspective and we don't understand it from sort of the global perspective. So when people talk about the 13 families, they're talking about the Western European families, uh, but there are bloodlines all around the world. Now, there's also uh, I've been told that there is a global 13 family of bloodlines, but they're also been at war. So, you know, you've had, particularly in the last few hundred years, you've had uh, the uh, the Kievan Scythian Tsar bloodline that was wiped out by social masonry, communism that was created by the 13 families of, of Europe. And then they 
created Nazism and that sort of took down the uh, the Kaiser bloodline and along with it in World War II you have the the uh, degrading of the Habsburg Lorraine dynasty you had a revolution in Spain where you had the the Bourbon dynasty taken down which was deeply connected and interrooted with the Habsburg Lorraine dynasty and you had the uh, the Anjou dynasty as sort of a rival from Italy uh, also uh, being taken down in those kind of wars or, or at least suppressed and then you had yeah. you had uh, the communist uh, virus put into China and you had the Li and Shaw bloodlines taken down now you have a Xi or a Shaw descendant on you know as president there now but you need to understand that this is a global global thing in terms of bloodlines that are all around the world. So, I mean, if you look yeah. at, for example, let's say uh, as Iran today, um, where if you have an overthrow of the Khomeini um, uh, theocracy that goes on in in Iran today, and Persia, you know, would might come out of it as as a stylized end time or ancient country, which would probably include Iraq, you could look for the uh, the the current Shah Riza Pavli coming back, and whether or not he's got direct bloodlines or diluted bloodlines, he can make a pedigree that goes all the way back to the Achaemenid dynasty of Persia that is. That is, I can't believe this is coming through. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. And that goes back sorry, to the Achaemenid <laughs> dynasty um, of the Indo-Aryans that you know created the beast dynasty of the Persians and the Medes. So yeah. we need right. to understand that this is still in play, but yeah, it's more Gary, than just, just a word. Yep. Just a quick, just a quick one, mate. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, could this be linked to? Do you remember? Um, it's probably 80s, 90s, um, uh, like a Chinese film studio called Shaw Brothers. Could that have a link to them? Run that by me again. I didn't quite understand that. There was um, like a Chinese stroke Japanese film studio that did make like kung fu films called Shaw Brothers. Oh, yeah. Could, could they be linked to the same Shaw family? Pro I mean... I don't think so. I think you, uh, well, oh, you're talking about Ja uh, with a Z, uh, with an X in there instead of the S. Yeah. Well, Shaw, would... Shaw Brothers, S-H-A-W, Shaw. Um, you know, you got a phonetic connection there. I don't know whether there's a direct connection in terms right, of, okay. uh, of the okay. spelling. Um, but, you know, the martial arts you know, came down from the fallen angels. They taught the arts of war. They provided the knowledge of of tactics and the knowledge to make weapons. And, yeah. And in the uh, tradition of the of the Japanese and through the Tengu, uh, you have uh, these sort of I would call them bird-like or Anunnaki-like or Cherubim-like. Uh, yeah people that are created particularly in Japan and throughout Southeast Asia where they taught uh, all of the martial arts to the people uh, of, of Asia. So there's a tradition there that might go back to the Xia dynasty, but I don't know whether that's a direct connection or not because the spelling, I, I, I don't right. But you have to also sort of connect in that the Shah 
of the of the Persians. Um, and when it says Shah on Shah, that means king of kings. That was part of coming out of the bloodlines of the Khan dynasty of the Mongols that uh, had invaded and they did some intermarriage. So you had a lot of Khan names that are also yeah. in um, Persia as well. So I think there's that, you know, maybe there might be some connection through the, the Mongol dynasty, but I'm, I'm not seeing sort of a direct connection without doing more research. Right, right. Yeah, I think um, possibilities are endless, Gareth. Yeah, it does. It just starts to go in a thousand sort of different directions. Yeah, yeah. So what I find really interesting about, you know, the uh, the Enochian Book of Giants is that uh, it brings up a few different names uh, that are kind of important as it links into other records of antediluvian and post-diluvian uh, accountings. And so we have like Gilgamesh who is mentioned. Um, and for people who are saying, well, you know, how do we know that is the same Gilgamesh that is in the Epic of Gilgamesh? And uh, I'm thinking it's, they're two different Gilgameshes. Uh, because two different Gilgameshes. Yeah. So for people looking for a reference on out of the Enochian book of references, that's on these are all fragments. So it's 4Q531FR1. And Gilgamesh there is one of these giants that is meeting about the coming of the uh the the coming of the flood. And they're trying to figure out, can they prevent it from coming? And they go to Enoch for advice on this. And of course, Enoch tells them that there's going to be a catastrophe coming and they can't win. There's nothing that they can do about it. Yeah. And Gilgamesh is uh, accounted for as he made war with the angels of heaven because of this. And <laughs> but he wasn't strong enough to prevail. <laughs> but he 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 was so arrogant he thought that he you know and powerful he thought well i'm not going to just sit here and do nothing right and he um you know and he, he tries to do something about it i don't know how many might have went with them but also remember the giants were also <laughs> fighting you know amongst themselves as well now in the in the epic of gilgamesh um it, it intersects because within those 12 tablets and uh, if you're looking at uh, at the flood story that's in there, as part of that whole epic, you get a character named Upnapishtim, who is a Noah-like character, right? And he's the survivor of the flood, and he brings with him in that account his family, and they are similar. They're nobility, and he is a king, and he yeah. he is two-thirds god and one-third human. So he's a demigod, just as Gilgamesh is described as two-thirds god and one-third human. But Apnapishtim is a survivor of, of the flood catastrophe on an ark, and it's thought to be an older tradition than what shows up in the Bible, which technically is true because you get the dating of those tablets to around 2150 BC and the Torah doesn't come down to Moses to about 1400 to 1450 BC. So it has to be an older manuscript, but I think they're two different accounts because the stories differ in the detail. One's talking about humans, one's talking about the giants. 
it's also recorded in other accounts with the name of Zaya Zudra, which is another version of the same story of the Epic of Gilgamesh and also Itzubar. And they're all three are, are essentially identical accounts. It's just different transliterated names. Right. So as we move that back now to Gilgamesh, within the Epic of Gilgamesh, we know he's a post-Diluvian giant um, because he is born after the flood. And he seeks out Upmatishtin for blessings and wisdom of the antediluvian world. And he's created as the son of Lugalbanda, a male, king of Uruk, which Gilgamesh will become king of as well. But the mother is a goddess, Nin or Ninsun, uh, depending on which trans translation that you're looking at. And he is two-thirds god and one-third human. And so he shows up circa, you know, 21, 2300 BC into that sort of range in, in Iraq. But his father's a human, uh, probably giant, um, but he's still got um, some likely human stuff. I mean, I mean, uh, if it's a giant, it's a hybrid angel and human anyways, right? It's just now right. is, is, is Gilgamesh going to be more an offspring of, of, of the giants um, with uh, more of a pure blood or is he actually not, not born of a mother goddess, but more born of another Rephaim or Nephilim and or human female. So how pure is that sort of bloodline? But the point is, is he's born after the flood. And he's the king of Uruk, and he's also recorded in the Ugaritic texts as well. And uh, we know he's uh, not a small individual because in all of the versions, he is uh, recorded as 11 cubits high. And as king how, of Uruk. How tall is that name? Well, using using a royal cubit because he was a king, as Josephus says, you should measure the the giants because they're kings and nobility. On uh, a royal cubit of 21 inches, he would be over 19 feet tall. On a standard <laughs> cubit, he'd be over 16 feet tall. That's well, a that's, big dude. That guy. <laughs> that's a big dude, but that it, it's it's worse than that when you think about how terrifying he would have been. He was he was four cubits wide. That would make him seven feet wide using a royal cubit or six feet wide or so using a standard cubit. But no matter how you, you, you look at the height and the width, he was a monster, right? <laughs> he certainly was. That's, that's big. That's big. Yeah. So this is, this is a story, you know, talking about these kinds of giants and that they're what they're trying to do is prepare for the flood and they they react in sort of different ways and we also get uh, some characters that are interesting because they show up elsewhere as well of course azazel as an angel is going to be mentioned and barakiel is another angel that's mentioned in the book of giants that or in the enochian books that is going to be uh, you know, show up elsewhere as well. Yeah. But you've got another giant saying uh, by the name of Oya. Oh, yeah. And he's, yeah, O-H-Y-A. 
And he's talking to uh, Mawe, M-A-H-W-A-Y, in several conversations, as well as Haya, H-A-Y-A-H, about what to do about these dreams and is there anything, you know, that they can do to prepare and stuff like that. And so these names show up in other accounts. So um, in... The uh, Manichaean uh, Book of Giants, um, you also have uh, these sons listed as the sons of Shemiazah or Azazel, um, uh, although one of them is the sons of Barakel, as it shows up in, in the Book of Enoch's. Um, but they have different sort of names. So you've got uh, like Sam, S-A-H-M, which would be Oya, who dreams of the tablets as, as one of the examples. Shamyaza. Shamyaza uh, is, is said to be the father, and Shamyaza, right, I think, right. is Zazel. So I think they've been sort of split into two angels. And so is Ohaya, uh, the son of Shamyaza as well, in the Manichaean Book of Giants and in the Book of uh, Giants, Enochian Book of Giants. So... Uh, and there are characters that also show up in the lost book of King Og. And in that book, it's a story about both sides of the flood with the giants, but mostly about before the flood uh, and the war of the of the hundred thousand giants. <laughs> so if you can imagine a war with a hundred thousand giants that are going at it. 19 foot dudes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that would be uh, fascinating to watch. Giants that are listed in that battle are one named uh, Sihon, which is also known as Ag in some versions. That's A-G, just as you get Agag as the king of the Amalekim in the Book of Numbers right. and a patronymic kingship title of the Amalekim. Um, and you get uh, Oya as well that's listed and Haya as well that's listed and Haya is said to be the father of King Og in that book. And then King Og has a son named Ogaius, which is thought to be, in some versions, to be um, uh, Gyges um, or Gyes. And Gyges is also listed in the, in, in the Book of Giants as well. Um, so, and Gyges, if, if that name sort of sounds familiar, there's a king... Gyges of Lydia, and then there's more Gyges that are kings in the Syrian area. These are giant kings in Greek mythology, and Gyges goes back to the Greek word Gygus for giant. So he's come back on itself. Yeah. Right, right. It's, yes. Uh... So there's something too. there's some connections there. I don't know whether these other books, you know, are legitimate or not, but there's, a, there's some consistency in what they're telling coming out of the, you know, the haze of prehistory. So. Yeah. Right. Does, uh, does Leviathan fit into um, any of this? Well, Leviathan fits into all of sort of prehistory, right? In all cultures all right. around the world. And so whether or not it's uh, Tiamat in the Sumerian accounting um, uh, the, and 
Tiamat is a parent god and, as I recall, the consort of Absu. And Tiamat creates all sorts of creatures, including the scorpion beings that are sort of described in yeah. <laughs> in Revelation 9, uh, heroes, giants, and all sorts of, uh, of, of, of creatures. You also have Yam, Lotan, Verita, uh, the Norse have the versions you've, uh, anyways, they're all over the world and they're talking about the same female uh, creature. And so in, in the Bible, the female is killed by God. Um, Marduk or Baal or Indra or, you know, commonly known gods very high up in the pantheon kill uh, that version of the female Leviathan in other accounts. So you get that same sort of telling of the story worldwide. So, yeah, Leviathan is also talked about in another book uh, that's related to um, that is related to the the Book of Giants through the Manichaean Book of Giants and the book that I called the Book of Lamech, the son of Cain. And it talks a lot about Leviathan and the city of Enoch um, where the watchers lived. Uh, and again, we get a city of Enoch that's built by Cain for his son Enoch in, in, in the book of Genesis. It also has a giant name in their name, Uval, uh, who is a Raphaim giant that's being talked about. Um, and Leviathan is going to be killed in, in this accounting as, as, as well. Right. So again, the Leviathan is, is, is one of those, I guess, creatures that, that, uh, you know, crosses, um, you know, several types uh, of writings and all about sort of the prehistory. So, right. Uh, and Leviathan was worshipped as a god in the Book of Lamech. And uh, Tubal Cain is uh, is uh, is the one who kills a Leviathan. Um, again, we get Tubal Cain that shows up in, uh, in in the Book of Genesis as well as the son of Lamech. So again, yeah. you get sort of a crossover and connection there. Um, it was the head being in Enoch City at one time, Leviathan. So that shows you how important Leviathan is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Leviathan right. is said to be as large as a mountain and was a sea creature as well. So in, in the, book <laughs> the size of, of a mountain. Yeah. It sounds ridiculous to me. Gary, you know what? Uh, Enoch, is this the... Did Enoch become Metatron? Yeah, in the third, well, in the third book of Enoch, you have um, Enoch who learns so much knowledge from the Watchers, and so he's yeah. mentored by the Watchers that it elevates him to a godlike status, right? And in recognition of that, and with his evolvement into God, he's actually taken into into heaven as an angel like the angel of the Lord. It is a very, it's actually almost raised higher than the angels in that sort of aspect. And his name is changed, changed in regard to that and in recognition of the knowledge uh, to be uh, Metatron. 
And right, okay. a, a lot of people will equate that with Thoth in the Egyptian pantheon. That was the Egyptian god of knowledge that right, right. evolved into a god because of the knowledge that it, that Thoth had. So, would this would this be different again? To let me just get it up, mate, please. Um, Um, oh, oh. King of the Universe. Is that something completely different? Run that by me again. King of the Universe. Well, King of the Universe would typically be an angelic term. Right. right? For, yeah, as opposed to a... Um, a giant term, uh, you know, they would be a representative of the the king of the universe, right? Uh, okay. And would would maybe take the same name and same title as their physical representative on Earth, but they are sort of a reflection of the power that gives them the divine right to rule. So, yeah. yeah again, as we're looking through prehistory, we sort of need to distinguish uh, the difference between the characters and. You know, when we were talking about Gilgamesh um, earlier in terms of that distinguishing, uh, we need to understand that there are giants that are named after the flood for giants that were before the flood. And I think that's what's going on with the Epic of Gilgamesh. So you also have like Hercules that is son of uh, Zeus and that he's a post-Diluvian giant, but there was an antediluvian Heracles which his name, he was probably named after. Yeah, Heracles. And, and again, as I've talked about on a number of shows with you, is, is we need to understand that there were yeah, parent yeah. gods like Tiamat who reigned before the flood. So in that sort of understanding, you have Anu as a chief parent god. Uh, Kronos in Greek mythology would be the same. Kronos. El in Canaanite. Uh, and then the offspring gods take over after the flood and they produce giants as well, just as the Ugaritic texts are yeah. uh, responsible or at least state that they created the Raphaim and King Og would be one of them. And so Rafa, uh, Raphael is one of Baal's terms in that sort of tradition uh, where Raphaim may have come from as that patronymic title being passed on to uh the eponymously named tribe and patriarch. So you have uh, these these giants that are these these parent gods that are reigning before the flood in all cultures, and then after the flood you have Anki and Enlil, for example, in Sumeria. You have Baal and Mot in um, the Canaanite pantheon, and to stick with the three that I was naming, you have yeah. like uh, Zeus and Poseidon in the Greek pantheon, and those are the offspring gods. And so when you're understanding prehistory, you have to understand when they reigned, and that'll yeah. help you decide um, whether or not you're looking at an antediluvian accounting or a post-diluvian accounting. And again, be careful because like, Zeus, for example, would have been around under Kronos and Gaia before the flood, but he doesn't take over till after the parent gods are overthrown in polytheist accountings or from a Christian perspective, they're taken to the abyss for creating the giants. And that's why you also have those 
offspring gods disappearing shortly after the flood, and I think shortly after they create the giants after the flood, and so much so that in the Ugaritic texts they're doing rituals to have Baal and Ashtaroth come back to create more pure blood Raphaim because their numbers are dwindling and the post-diluvian death of uh, uh, post-diluvian giants have a fertility issue. So if you look at that word, um, terrible ones, which King Hababa is called in the uh, Epic of Gilgamesh uh, and also known as Hobabis in the, in the, in the book of, uh, of giants. Um, he is uh, a terrible one. And that word shows up in the Bible as giant describing individuals as in Ezekiel 32 with the kings that were slain. They're called the terrible ones and the branch of the terrible ones and the strong ones in Isaiah 25, which is the Hebrew word erit and eritim for the male plural. And it has a lot of different descriptions of strong, powerful, just as you would expect for a giant. But yeah. childless Childless and infertility were also part of the definition of the terrible ones after the flood. So with the giants after the flood, they have a reproduction issue. The ones before don't seem to have that. And then that's going to inspire the giants to uh, intermarry with humans after the flood. So it's important to understand the, the distinguishing differences between Nephilim before the flood, Raphaim after the flood, or in polytheist traditions, just giants in general before the flood and giants yeah. after the flood. Now, if you're a proponent of giants surviving the flood, um, then those ones would seem to produce more easily than the ones produced after the flood. But if you sort of look from a biblical perspective, and my biases is, 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 is that, is that only eight survived the flood as in uh, Noah on the ark. So that sort of requires a second incursion, even though I am open to somehow the giants would be surviving the flood. But it seems to be more, I guess, consistent with the details coming out that there was fertility issues with the giants after the flood, which means a second creation and limitations that were put on that creation after the flood. Yeah, makes you wonder, doesn't it? Like um, the reason for there being like issues with reproducting. I um, wonder why. Do you think it was deliberately done? Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, the creation of the giants from an Enochian perspective in First Enoch and in the Book of Giants, um, and even in the other accounts, it looks at the creation of the giants as a violation against the laws of creation yeah. uh, and perhaps a violation against the Holy Spirit. So it's what what happens is God lets things happen in free will. So you have the angels that rebel um, yeah. and in retort, uh, God creates Adamites to be the resolution to the angelic rebellion. So the angels are going to say, well, we're not going to let that happen. And we're going to try and have humans yeah. sort of destroyed from the face of the earth so that they can achieve their destiny and be raised up above us uh, somehow, some way. So it's interesting that you have um, <clears throat> these, these uh, angels who are uh, going to create in Genesis 6 as part of the revenge against human, uh, the Nephilim or the antediluvian giants, and their job is, is to take over the world and destroy 
uh, the DNA of humans and to uh, depopulate them from the earth and make sure that there's no way and lead them from away from God so that they can't inherit their destiny. So yeah. God lets that happen, but he intervenes with a flood and has a restart. And as Alpha Omega, he knows the angels are going to redo this again, but now he restricts them a little bit more. And I think the giants aren't as large and don't have yeah. as many abilities and have that reproductive issue that's going to l limit their impact. But because Baal, Zeus, Poseidon, Anki, all of these offspring gods produced giants after the flood, they go to the abyss prison as well. And so yeah. we don't see them walking amongst humans again, let's say, you know, sometime a hundred years or so after the flood, maybe at the time of Babel or so. Um, but shortly after the flood, they just sort of disappear. And all, all you get is the people trying to bring back the gods and have them more involved with them. And then they start yeah. to worship a lot more of the demigod spirits that come back, like in hero worship that is talked about in, in, in Greek mythology where their hero dies and that... Uh, he is very upset that he's now a disembodied spirit and he haunts the city that he was uh, uh, reigning from. And they do all sorts of rituals and worshiping um, to pacify this uh, upset demonic spirit. And these are called devils or daemons in, in, in the Bible, um, both in, in the Old Testament as devils being worshipped and as devils that are possessing people. Uh, in, in, in the New Testament. So again, you get that sort of consistency of what's going on there. Do you think uh, so that's why, why, why they categorize Satan uh, as a devil? Well, it's a different word. Uh, so devil is Diablos versus Daemon. Um, okay. Okay, and Diablos is defined as the prince of angels and the prince of demons, or the prince of fallen angels and the prince of demons. So it is connected a little bit in that way, you know, just as words like diabolical are rooted in Diablos. <laughs> so <laughs> those aren't coincidences, let me tell you. But, but anytime a reference to Satan is being used, it's either Satan uh, or it is Diablos. Uh, as the devil, so uh, as it comes out of the Greek in, in the New Testament, and of course you have okay. Lucifer in the Old Testament, but that should be translated as Hail El Ben Shakar, not uh, Lucifer uh, Ben Shakar or Lucifer, son of the morning. It's uh, it's 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 been put in there, I think, because that's the god of the of the Gnostics and Freemasons. Right. Okay. Okay. It's brilliant, mate. <laughs> it's a uh... Say the it's like the, the wordplay that you were breaking up there, meanings. so you you, you broke it's like, up. It's there, like so. a, a, yeah, the, the different meanings now they don't mean this mean the same thing, but they do at the same time as well. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of double entendres and stuff like that, so. <laughs> So, yeah, so it's it's interesting um, with that book of Enoch. Like I say, you don't get a lot. You've got, you know, a few 
fragments. I think there's probably 10 or 12 fragments that we get, uh, but we do get is, is that some interesting information on some of these um, tablets. So on, I'll just give people some information. And you, and you know, what I would rec yeah. recommend is if people want to get a little bit more familiar with uh, the Enoch Book of Giants, there's a, um, a book out there uh, and you can get it on a digital book for under 10 bucks. Um, and I have it. I have several ones, but this one's by Joseph Lumpkin. And it's Joseph. the book of, yeah. And it's called The Book of Giants, The Watchers, Nephilim, and The Book of Enoch. So it's going to give you the Book of Giants in there. It's going to give you first Enoch. And it's going to give you the Manichaean Book of Giants in there as well. And you can get that digitally. So that gives you. Uh, a pretty, you know, pretty good cross-reference. You don't get, you don't get second Enoch, you don't get third Enoch, but uh, so you have to buy um, or print. You can get, you can actually print off the internet the copies of second and third Enoch. So, so on some of these other fragments, it's got, uh, you've got the angels. It says that descended with the knowledge of the secrets of heaven to produce, and they produce giants and monsters. That's on. Uh, Q23. So again, that's very, very consistent with uh, first Enoch in terms of uh, what they did. But it's, yeah, it's what's, inter so but what's interesting there is the creation of monsters, which is you get kind of a <laughs> reference, but not a clear reference. And when you look at prehistory in polytheism, and particularly Greek history, is versioning with these types of things they created all sorts of creatures chimera individuals just like king hababa is a chimera individual um that, you know, yeah of the cedar forest in the book of enoch he's got serpent parts lion parts bird parts all he's he's a chimera type of individual and, and a terrible one but you know you've got centaurs you've got pegasus you've got all sorts of things being created little people in the uh in the end time, and one wonders what they did to the rest of the plant genome and the rest of the animal uh, DNA, because when it says in the Bible that the earth was corrupt and violent, the violence you can take directly back to the giants, because that's they were just violent towards themselves, uh, towards humans, towards the world, and they just slaughtered on on mass. As you get the accountings in the in the book of Enoch. So, when you look at that word shakath, that means or, or or corrupted. That's the Hebrew word shakath, and that means decay. That means okay. ruin. Uh, all things that are degrading what was. Uh, as destroy. And so the the whole earth was being changed. And that means all the plant genome on the land and all the animal DNA and the human DNA. So violence and a complete corruption of everything in the physical world, which is why God selected eight to survive that were pure of those issues and of spirit, pure spirit. But also the animals are called to the ark in terms of um, representatives of each kind or species is that probably should be better translated. And the Quran yeah. actually translates that as species as well uh, of, of, of their accounting of it. And because these are the ones that 
are not been DNA corrupted so that they'll restart the world properly. And you get that mythos about the unicorn that was a horse for the uh, Nephilim kings that they rode into battle on is yeah. these cuddly yeah. little things that were so playful they didn't get called yeah. to the ark. That's because they were a corrupted chimera type of creature. And if you look at a chimera, chimera um, uh, unicorn as it was originally understood, it is again got all sorts of different parts of different animals on there. So that's kind of interesting. I, I found that sort of interesting. Yeah, I mean, for, for any creatures who carry a 19 foot tall, seven foot wide um, yep. humanoid creature, it must, yeah. be, it must be pretty big. Well, and, and the giants before the flood were larger than the ones after the flood. <laughs> So the general concept is 20 to 40 feet. Some people think larger, but it, so and you so you can imagine on a two to one ratio, they're going to be, you know, 10 to 20 feet wide, depending on how tall they were. And these were and they would consume on another uh, fragment for Q531. The giants are monsters that absolutely were insatiable in consuming plants, animals and humans. So they would. Yeah. So they were they were uh, using human as 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 food and for their sacrificial rituals as well. And they it also says the angels in this is really interesting um, on one Q twenty three you have uh, angels and giants would interbreed with animals. So you start to get whatever is produced after that. Is this why you would get like the like Dogman, for example, that kind of uh, cryptid? I I think you could look at that as one source, or you could take like Dogman back to a barking kind of god, like a jackal god. Uh, That would be like um, Anubis in the Egyptian. Anubis. And then there's a god that's named in... Uh, the Bible as uh, Nebaz, and he was a god of the Avim, part of the N-I-B-A-Z, and he's defined as a barking god, so, and depicted as a jackal or or a dog, so one presumes if they had offspring, they would produce uh, giants that looked like them, so in Egypt, you had a city called uh, Sinopolis, meaning dog city, that were all of the uh, thousands yes. of giant dog-like warriors lived that were the offspring of Anubis. And that's where you get that word, Sinophali, uh, mean, you know, for that, that dog mythos. And you get a similar accounting in the Greek mythology as well. You get dog warriors accounting throughout Africa, throughout India, throughout China. This was not, you could do a whole show on, on, on uh, the dog dog warriors there's just so much information that that's out there so um so yeah so if they were reproducing they would pass that on and so if you are a a cherubim watcher and you had in your uh physical appearance as you take one face of those uh on earth and understand a cherubim had four faces they had a face of a man just Face of an eagle, face of a of a, of a bull, and a face of a lion. You're breaking. 
by both evils. Uh, did you mean you were you, you were break you were breaking up there, so I could not understand what you oh, were saying. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, the uh, yeah he, he's breaking up me. I don't know what. I've moved up different part of the room. Can you hear me now? Yeah. No, I I didn't get Got that it? again. I, I did not get that. You broke oh, up he... again. Hello. Now, can you hear me? I can hear, I can hear right. you. I can hear you. Right. But I did not understand what you said uh, because you broke up every time you're asking whatever you're asking. It was about the um, the, the dogma. They was yeah. a, um, a, a, allegedly they were mercenaries. Yes, they were. They seem yeah. to be a lower level of giant and were mercenaries. That's another part of the the, the mythos. So right, right, they were high. Yeah. And again, in all cultures, they were understood as a as a uh, as a mercenary. Very interesting. Yeah. It, it, it makes you wonder, like uh, like today, a lot of the dogman stories are in uh, America. A lot of the sightings tend to be in in North America, whether or not um, they're legitimate or not. It's hard to know, but what we can't do is sort of discount um, that there were these creatures in the past and you get accountings right into the Middle Ages of sightings of these dog warriors. Yeah. And, you know, St. Christopher of the uh, Eastern Orthodox version is depicted with a dog's head. And he came out of North yes. Africa in that mythos where yeah. there were dog warriors and he converted to Christianity. So... Um, there's such a strong tradition on there. It's, you know, you just sort of need to, <laughs> um, maybe keep an open mind that some of these creatures actually do, right? existed. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe and, they do like on, on a different, like, um, different dimension. Maybe they exist. Maybe uh, not. Well, sure. Because. Like the uh, the Raphaim, um, and one presumes it was the same before the flood. Uh, the Raphaim in the Ugaritic texts, um, they had the ability to pass through to the underworld through portals. And, and like Gilgal Raphaim, for example, you have like over a hundred different domains, which is that you know a word that means portal. Um, and that they would cross over for funerary rites and at, at other times. And then as a demon spirit, they could cross back and forth between those portals as well. Yeah. So if they could, then why couldn't other creations of fallen angels um, have That's the same true, sort mate. of ability? Yeah. yeah so yeah. It, it makes you wonder that. Yeah. Maybe, and when maybe it, there are. And I don't know whether I came through when I was talking about the different faces of the cherubim, um, because uh, they uh, they have a face of a man, they have a face of a lion, they have a face of an eagle, and a face of uh, a bull. And so if you look at that Anunnaki that shows up in Sumerian reliefs, so you get the same depiction, one with an eagle head, one with a human head. So if they showed up with a human head, 
the human face, they would have produced giants that looked like themselves, right? So that's where you get the dark-haired Indo-Aryans from, both before and after the flood, with these big, bushy, woolly beards, uh, just as you see the Anunnaki show up with those big, bushy beards yeah. and dark hair in those reliefs, as Gilgamesh is described, and giants out of Sumeria. If they, if they reproduced with that eagle head, they would produce the the uh, the Tengu gods that we talked about earlier um, that had bird faces, or there's they come out in the uh, Kishamaya version, the Zabalba, who had a owl face. And one branch was called the House of Kamazots, which means the House of the Bat. And if you Google Kamazots, C-A-M-A-Z-O-T-Z, it comes up and there's this Batman outfit on there as a superhero, because these are all heroes of old, uh, who the superheroes are, are mostly based on, even Superman as Son of El. Um, so, and out of the House of El. So, you also have a lion that's in there in the cherubim face. And so you think of these lion faces on sphinxes and things like that. And you have the lion men of Moab in the Bible, which are warriors. And you have the uh, lion men of Gad and the lion like Arioch, king of the war of giants of Mesopotamia. And you also have on reliefs in Egypt and in Sumeria of these lion-like warriors. And they were called the Ermahulo uh, in some versions, and there's a few other different transliterations, but they're essentially talking about the same type of being. So one thinks that the watchers of the cherubim perhaps created different kinds of Nephilim as opposed to the seraphim watchers who had a serpent face um, and why you have gods depicted as serpent gods and then kings depicted as as serpents yeah. as well and the polytheist imagery burgeoning with serpentine imagery because they were in charge of governance and religion as a watcher and they seem to be sort of considered as a higher level, more noble of the giant creature creatures or these other ones I'm talking about were more warrior type of giants. Get you, mate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I guess giant could mean different things. Yeah, I think it can. Um, you know, they're all they're all large and yeah. It just depends on how large they are. And uh, so uh, when we don't get real descriptions on the sizes of these other types of giants, other than that they were giant-like for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely, mate. Definitely. So um, I think uh, whichever way you look at it, would large. Yeah. So... When, and when we're looking at, you know, back in that Enochian book of giants with some of that important information, and again, it's got a lot of really juicy sort of stuff in there on very few fragments on 4Q531 again. This is fragment yeah. two versus fragment three that I talked about earlier. Um, it says that the angels defiled the world. Um, so they corrupted the world. That's what Genesis 6 is talking about with both giants and monsters. But the earth became corrupt 
because of the blood from the giants from killing humans and other giants in war and eating humans and drinking their blood. So just as we get blood drinking in the first book of Enoch, you have that blood drinking that's recorded in um, the book of Enoch of giants. And so they were doing just horrible things uh, when they when they were on on this earth. And uh, we're also told that in, in another uh, couple of fragments that the giants lack true knowledge. So what that's basically saying is they had all the knowledge of the fallen angels, but not all the knowledge of the God of the universe. So uh, and that and they became corrupted because of their knowledge, just as Satan in the Bible becomes corrupted uh, with his knowledge. Did you want to? Stiller. Hello. Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you now. I can hear you now. Yep. I can hear you now, but you were gone there for a second. So I wasn't sure what you were. Sorry, mate. That's okay. I wasn't sure whether you were trying to to jump in there or not, but uh, I thought I would pause, and then I wasn't sure you were there. So <laughs> yeah, it, it's just it, it, I mean, it's like uh, like we said at the beginning, Gary. The more you look into things, the more you find. Yeah, I know exactly. That's, uh, it is. Uh, it's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, so again, not as not a lot of information uh, that we get on the Enoch Book of Giants, but you know, just its name testifying another sort of copy, and then how it links into matches up well with uh, like the Bible and other accounts that are around the world. Um, and when you get into that sort of uh, connection into the the lost book of King Og. And again, not that I like to rely on that too heavily, um, but it did, it supposedly, you know, is translated with the help of uh, an English, uh, into English uh, of a Catholic priest from the Vatican. Um, it is it is talking about uh, their, their fertility issues, which really, you know, sort of meshes up to um, what's being talked about in terms of the understanding of the uh, of the Raphaim and Lestat is 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 the last sort of uh, female Raphaim that is going to create the moon child and be like an uh, a king of kings type of uh, uh, offspring that would take over and hopefully be the start of the continue of their being able to to reproduce but uh that doesn't happen because latesta dies and so it just sort of it is it is just uh sort of a reaffirming that there was that 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 fertility issue and they looked at humans in the book of og not that pleasantly They, uh, they looked at uh, uh, humans as being food, and they looked at um, humans as insects. 
So when you get that description as insects, which is really interesting because in Numbers 13.33 as it's describing the giants of the Anakim uh, and, and understand Anak are also in the uh, lost book of King Og as well. Yeah. Um, this, th their description is as we were like grasshoppers before them. So sort of underlining that they considered humans as insects and what they would call smaller cells, as it's called. And of course, they ate them for food and drank their blood in, in, the, in the book of King Og <laughs> as well. And that they, they also called humans uh, worms and ants. <laughs> I mean, they didn't, they didn't look at us as uh, a very, very uh, respectful type of sentient being. We, they were looking at as, as, you know, just inferior and only good for rituals and food. So, and blood wow. drinking. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it's nice to be thought of in that way. Yeah, at least. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's very interesting as you as you start piecing all of this uh, uh, information together. Certainly is, mate. And, and there's nobody better than put it together than you, Gary. Uh, once again, mate, the um, the the knowledge and information you've just shared. It's yeah. so uh, it's vital. Yeah, you know, it's about um, to me. It's about connecting the dots and then looking yeah. for commonality to get sort of a directional story and and uh, see uh, see you know see what that means once you start putting it all together. And so, if you keep looking, like I say, there's more and more and more out there. So, you know, when I'm doing my research, or you know, and and I've got a book that. Um, I'll be getting out here over the next three or four months. It's uh, ready for the publishers, and I'm working with the publishers now. Yes, uh, you, yes. You, you can just dig and dig and dig. So you could never not find more information. So the temptation is is to never really sort of put something together. So at some time you have to take a pause and say, okay, how do I put this together, and how do how do I try and communicate it in a way that doesn't make uh, somebody looked like a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Gary, right. Uh, mate, well, once again, you have, um, uh, you probably, you blew my mind as soon as we started off. I'll not lie. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was talking to you. But um, uh, before you go, Gary, do you want to let everybody know about you? You, you know, you've got a book coming out soon, etc. Yeah. You, maybe. Sure. So the new book is going to be called The Genesis Six Conspiracy Part Two, and the subtitle will be How Understanding Prehistory and Giants Helps to Define End Time Prophecy. Uh, and the first book that I wrote is Genesis Six Conspiracy, How Secret Societies and the Descendants of Giants Plan to Enslave Humankind. So this book that I'm putting out is more targeted towards Christians, but it is sort of answer the question a lot of Christians come back at me at is, is can you tell us more about what's actually in the Bible? And even though I go through a lot, and I, but I'm also talking about a lot of other uh, accounts around the world in the first book, because I'm trying to get people to understand the similarities to the information that's out there. 
Um, this one goes deep into how many different kinds of giants uh, are recorded in the Bible, um, how we know that these are giants in the Bible, yeah. uh, the hybrid patriarchalist nations, the ones that are not listed in the in the table of nations. So you've got hybrids that are patriarchalist, and then you have other nations that don't show up that are the giant nations, and we go through all of that. I, I go through the angelic hierarchy and the rebellious invisible hierarchy of the fallen angels and where they rule from. And I go through all of the, uh, what I call the giant wars after the flood with the Raphaim. And so I, I go through in detail the war of giants. And then I go through each of the campaigns uh, that are all giant wars and all the different wars, whether it's the war of Rephidim with the Amalekim, whether or not it's the battle of uh, Athronim, that's 40 years later, they really go back to the way of the spies and they deal with the giant king Arad and the Canaanites that he's ruling over, deals with right. the eastern campaign with the King Og and his uh, 60 cities that he ruled over, 12 pentapolises uh, and Sihon, um, all Raphaim and ruling over the Amorites at that time after the War of Giants and his about 40 different cities. And then how they crossed over into the uh, land of the covenant. And I, I go through what I call the central and partial southern campaign and then right. and it deals with all the different giant nations that are in there. Then the northern campaign with like King Jabin uh, or Yabin, as it's probably pronounced, uh, King of Kings and that great northern alliance. And then back down to the mountain campaign and finish off the southern campaign and then through the wars of the giants and just show you why they're giants in the in the age of the judges right through to the wars of King David and King Saul's wars with the remnant of the giants and then king solomon who is dealing with the hadad dynasty after that as well and then i take you into prophecy and how understanding all of that uh, leads into understanding the terms for prophecy and how nothing is new under the sun and why we need to be aware of some of this stuff happening again in in the end time so that's going to be uh, marketed as well uh, through my website, which the first book is, and that's on the Genesis6conspiracy.com. That's Genesis6 with the number 6conspiracy.com. If you want to get a feel for the first book, I've got uh, a generous chapter of all 98 chapters up there for Genesis 6 Conspiracy Part 1. When the second book is ready, I'll do the same with that. You can uh, contact me if you have a question or want some more information through the media page where it says contact Gary Wayne uh, for an interview. That's my email contact, so it'll come through to me. It might take me a month to get back to you, but I will get back to you. Uh, you can buy a signed copy um, from me from the website. As for the, the new book, will be marketed the same way. And so you go if you're in Canada, there's a Canadian page. If you're in the U.S., there's a U.S. page. Anywhere else in the world, there's an overseas page. You can also link over to Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, BarnesandNoble.com, and over to Kindle if you want to get the digital version. So that's the best way to get a hold of me, best way to find out about my books, best way to uh, buy a book is just the easiest way to do it. Absolutely fantastic, Garrett. Um, thanks again, mate. It's uh, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. Awesome. Um, it's been fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks again, mate. I'm going to stop recording now, Gary. Okay. 
six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.